Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all on the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. Shazam! Welcome to another stellar edition of the Job Shop Show. Your host, Jay Jacobs, here. And today, amongst other things, we will be hitting on a topic that many in the audience can probably relate to, a toxic partner. Jeff Robinson of Holland, Michigan, is here with us. He is the former president and owner of All Route, and as of January 1st, founder of a new shop, Hybrid Machining. Jeff ended up selling his stake in All Route to his partner, and he is open to chatting about that whole process with us. We're also going to discuss why he decided to open a new shop rather than sitting back and taking it easy. I think a lot of motivation here that we as job shop owners have, and we'll get into that. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Jeff. Good morning, Jay. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So one of the things that we were chatting a little bit before the show, you mentioned that a book by Simon Sinek called Start With Why helped you decide to start hybrid machining. So can you tell me about that book and how it shaped your decision? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, at my my previous shop, um, you know, a lot of this was my own fault, but uh, we didn't have a really true path of what, where we were going, what we wanted to achieve, and so on. Mm-hmm. And um, so, as I uh, decided to part ways with that company and start this company, we, I really wanted to focus um, very intelligently or uh, deliberately on a couple different topics. Um, so the book itself just really helped me to develop my own why. You know, why am I doing this? Why do I get up every morning to come to work? Um, mm-hmm. What's What are we going to give back to the community? Um, and then hopefully we get something in return. So that book really just helped me um, understand the purpose of what this company is going to be all about and uh, figured out how to take it to the next level. For those who have not read the book and perhaps you can summarize it so that it, you, it shares where it led you in the the process, but also give somebody who might want to read it a better understanding of what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, so, the it's been quite a while since uh, I've listened to it, but um, it really just gets down into the the nitty gritty of um, just defining your purpose, both personally 
uh, and professionally. Um, so if we have a very clear purpose uh, of where what we want to achieve within this company, we can all be on the same page and all be rowing in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in my past, um, that wasn't always clear. Um, we had two different opinions a lot of the times. Um, so um, we had people rowing in different directions and, you know, we, we, sometimes they talk about the, uh, talk about light and how light, uh, if it is focused, it's extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to be focused on one um, central topic or mission or however you want to call it. Um, and I think his premise is you ask why at least five times. Is that correct? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause really what it, I, I've seen it in some of his uh, videos. If you go YouTube it, it's all over. Um, it's been mailed right. millions and millions of times. But, uh, you know, you start with this circle approach in the center of the circle is your why. And then you you figure out your why, uh, then your how, uh, and then kind of work your way out. Right. right. So it appears that you are a lifelong learner. Do you read a lot, listen to audio books and podcasts? How do you gather information? How do you learn? Yeah. So, uh, I'm not the best reader. And if I start reading late at night, I typically fall asleep and don't remember what I read anyway. So (laughs) I am definitely an audio book guy. Um, so pretty much all my time I spend to and from work and to or from, um, clients, facilities Mm -hmm. or even if you're working out um listening to instead of music i'm trying to listen to podcasts um that's a growing trend Mm -hmm. um but for me it's audiobooks um in the last year i probably read probably 15 20 or listened to i should say Mm -hmm. and um it's just really helped me to think outside the box some more um you know a book by um uh, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is what really got me through uh, the business transaction at my previous company. Hmm. Uh, made me look at things a little differently. And that book, I can honestly say, is what got us through the hurdle. Uh, we were in a stalemate for months on end. And the book made me think of things differently. And um, now we've successfully gone through that transition and moved on. Any particular books in particular besides those two that we've talked about that you have either gifted or suggested other folks listen to or read? Yeah. So probably my, uh, the first book would be, um, the, it's called traction. Uh, it's, uh, studying the EOS model, the entrepreneur operating system. Um, it's similar to like scaling up, but just a, a different model. Um, we're big into that model in West Michigan. There's a ton of companies around here doing it and nothing but praise mm-hmm. uh, with that. So uh, I've been studying that and all of its books to figure out how to run this company better than I did before. Um, another one I've been giving away lately is Extreme Ownership. Mm, yeah. uh, I love that book. Jocko. Uh, yes. It's even better, honestly, if you listen to it because they read it and they have a really cool raspy voice from yelling at Marines all their lives. Yeah. Uh, so For those who are not familiar, Jocko Wilnick, I believe is how you pronounce his 
name. And he was a commander in SEAL Team. Which SEAL Team was it? Uh, I want to say six, but I'm not yeah. sure. But he is just a beast. <laughs> yep. Uh, so highly, he has a podcast, and he has podcasts out there. And I have not read the book, but man, just listening to his podcast, he 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 basically tells you to suck it up and do it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yep. In lack of better words. So, um, you know, and obviously, I, I've listened to a lot of Maxwell's books. Um, and so on. And then Maxwell, um, um, trying to think of his first name, is it James, I believe. Um, so he's got a ton of leadership books out there. Um, they're just out of sight. I can't quite see them from here, but, um, so yeah. And then I'd be remiss to say that, uh, the, uh, in our world and our beliefs that, uh, probably the most important books, the Bible. So, um, we got to do that as well. So. Gotcha. When you are listening to audio books, what tool do you use? Do you subscribe to a service or do you download from your local library? How do you, just for folks who may not know that that's an option, how can they listen to audio books? Yeah, I um, mostly use um, iTunes just because of my mm -hmm. iPhone. Um, but then it's unique in the fact that I almost always purchase the hard copy book as well um, because I find that uh, I always want it for my quick resources. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times there's graphs and so forth that we can't see. Um, so you can just purchase the book, the audio book right on iTunes. Yep. I purchase it, download it uh, so I can list it. I, I wish I could figure out how to share it with more people that way, but that's also why I buy the hard copy mm -hmm. um, so that I can use it more as a quick reference to find stuff. But then also um, particularly in traction, I typically keep two to three copies um, of it at my uh, facility. If mm -hmm. we're talking about it with young entrepreneurs or other people that are just asking for advice, um, we'll give that book away. Yeah, Gino, you mentioned it's big in Michigan. That makes sense because Gino Wickman, the creator of EOS, is from the Detroit area. Yep. And a great, great system. I firmly believe whether you're using EOS traction or scaling up a structure in operating your company is essential if you want to grow. If you're not interested in growing, you can probably get by without it. But if you want to grow, and the way I look at it is if you are not growing, you're shrinking. Yes, absolutely. Then you want to have a structure. So EOS is a great place to start. The story that you have, before we get into all route, could you just share with us some of your background, how you got into manufacturing? Yeah. Um, so, in well, starting in high school, um, I, I took three years of wood shop and one year of metals um, and also all the CAD classes and stuff I could take back then. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a real passion for it. My grandfather owned a construction business. Um, so I was always around wood. Um, so in high school, I got a job um, with a local company 
um, just started to sweep um, before I was old enough to run machinery. So I swept and I could really see what's happening in the shop. And then um, I was hired on uh, during my summers. Uh, just work on some really fun big projects. We worked on the Golden Dome of Notre Dame, hmm. um, a lot of replica type work. And uh, uh, they were good, really good at teaching me. Uh, they had some really good gentlemen there that were willing to teach. And that's where I learned what I would consider traditional woodworking, um, table saws, band saws, drill shapers, so on. Um, from there, uh, attended Grand Rapids Community College, earned my associate's degree. Um, while I was there, uh, I started working at um, a company called Precise CNC Routing. I uh, worked there for quite a while, um, probably, well, maybe a year and a half or so. Um, that was during my graduation time. Mm -hmm. Up there, went to another CNC shop um, where we dealt with what we in West Michigan call the big four. Uh, on the east side of our state, everyone calls the big three our automotive makers, but on the mm -hmm. west side of the big four is our furniture makers of Steelcase, Herman Miller, Trenway, and Hayworth. Mm. Um, so I learned how to work with them um, with all their regulations and everything that you have to deal with, with working with large corporations. Um, while I was there, we got slow. Um, so I had like 16 Fridays off in a row. And it was during that time was when I started planning all route. Mm -hmm. um, I always wanted to start my own shop. I had a passion for CNC machining, um, particularly in the wood industry. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where um, 2003, it was just myself, um, one machine in my grandmother's building. Um, and we started off and my, my uncle, um, became my partner. He, after about 13 months, he came on board full time once we had enough work to sustain mm -hmm. both of us. So did you have any businesses when you were younger or was this your first stab at being an entrepreneur? Well, my first stab was all route. Um, and that was, uh, I was 23 when I started that one. 23. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, was going to start it right after precise CNC routing, but I was still pretty young, mm -hmm. um, still learning things. And uh, that's why I went to that the other company. I learned a lot. I only ran the floor for about eight months mm -hmm. on their large um, routers and then immediately kind of worked my way back up into the office into quality control. And stuff. When you started all route, did you have a business plan? Yes. Yep. It was... Uh, Fairly intensive, uh, trying to get the plan all together. Um, basically, you had to try to sell your pitch your idea to banks. Mm -hmm. um, it's extremely difficult at 23 when mm -hmm. you're going to look for capital equipment. Um, and we, I was frankly just turned down. I mean, they said I was very organized. I had a big three rebinder with everything from market analysis to um, obviously our name, why mm -hmm. we called it that. Um, business, I had all kinds of documents from companies stating that they will give me work. Really? Um, so I had letters of intent. Yeah. Um, so, but they still didn't want to lend it to a young kid. Um, so I was fortunate and blessed that, uh, I was able to go to the bank of grandma and, <laughs> um, 
she lent me the money and um, yeah, we had a favorable interest rate. She didn't want to take any, but we gave her a few percentage points regardless. Mm-hmm. And then um, basically I worked my tail off to try to, we got it paid off in about 18 months. I didn't take a paycheck for 13 week, 13 months. To... It's a common story for starting out. Yep. When your uncle joined the company 15 months into running it, mm-hmm. was he the second employee or or part, second person at the company? Yes. Yeah, he was the second person and partner. Um, so we were 50-50 partners. Um, How did you into- decide on that? Um, just what seemed to be the right thing at the time. Um, he had obviously more money than I did as, um, more of an adult, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, I had the passion and the drive to get it all figured out. So, um, he was able to put more cash into it than me. And, uh, I put the time into it. So that first year was a tough year of pretty much doing everything. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, 70 hours a week, go home sleep come back Mm -hmm. luckily i was at the time i was single uh living at home and pretty much just went home to eat and sleep and did it all over again um but yeah 50 50 was just what seemed right at the time i would want to do that again um as i talked to other entrepreneurs but um yeah for the first 10 years of the 17 years i was in business that 50 50 wasn't was a good deal. It worked great. Mm-hmm. The so you had a pretty comprehensive business plan. Mm-hmm. Did you have a operating agreement in place with your partner? Yes. Yep. Um, it was pretty straightforward. I'll call it boilerplate documents, if you will. Just mm-hmm. pretty much went to the lawyer and said, "Here's our standard operating agreement." We were we started out as an LLC. Um, just because it worked the best for the tax codes at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, probably 10 years into it or so, we did switch from an LLC to a S-Corp. Uh, and that was just strictly based on tax purposes. Okay. When I say operating agreement, I'm thinking more of a agreement for disagreement, a essentially a prenup for the partnership outside of the legal operating structure uh i wouldn't say there was anything formal um it like i said there really wasn't any even thought of having issues or concerns um of how to break ties and so forth and that's why i as i speak to new entrepreneurs that are going out and wanting to start partnerships i'm like you've got to not do 50 50 um somebody's got to be the leader um, ah, so so the fifty-fifty is something that you think it should be a fifty-one forty-nine percent. If it has to be, yes. I mean, because we got in the circumstance uh, that um, hurt us later on is that mm-hmm. we just run into stalemates. You know, mm-hmm. we sure. continued to grow further and further apart in visions, and uh, with that fifty-fifty, you're just stuck. Um, and somebody ultimately is the leader, whether if you want to look at it from the money standpoint, um, whether they have more invested or the person with the drive and the passion, 
you can look at it that way too, but somebody's got to have the final say mm-hmm. um, so that you don't get stuck in a rut. Sure. And frankly, that's what happened to us. I'll share a little bit if it's of interest in regards to at Rapid, we had a pretty solid prenup in place and we had the legal operating agreement. And by the way, you want to separate these because a LLC agreement or I'm not sure, I assume there's an S corp agreement as well is a document that banks and other folks will want to see that you are not necessarily required to give them, but a yeah, lot of if times you, if you don't give it to them, then <laughs> they won't give you anything. Yeah. If you want money, you got to give it to them. Right. Yeah. So an operating agreement, you, you don't want your, your partner operating agreement as part of that. It's none of their business, how mm-hmm. you would agree to disagree. And we had a sep- so we had a separate agreement and we anticipated the different scenarios where and I was the majority owner but mm-hmm. I did have partners shareholders who had put money into rapid mm-hmm. and they needed to be treated fairly so there were also team members who had equity stakes that were earned over time. And you want to clearly define in the operating agreement, in my experience, what happens in different scenarios. So what happens if someone dies? How, do, how does their family get compensated fairly for their share? Mm-hmm. What happens if somebody goes bankrupt? What happens if somebody commits a felony, steals money from your company? All these things are probably rare occurrences, but they do happen. And there's a pretty standard way to define how you exit from those scenarios. And just to flesh it out a little bit for folks who may want to put an operating agreement in place, we had a way to determine the value of the company. And what we did, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but we took a rolling 12-month average of the EBITDA. Mm-hmm. So we, we or essentially went back 12 months, figured out an EBITDA, and it was a multiple of the EBITDA. And so that was fair because you're not going to really manipulate the numbers and you capture the value if you are in October for that year, as opposed to going all the way back to the previous year. Yep. You also at, because typically somebody's a minority shareholder and it's a private company, their asset is not liquid. So the, they should not get 100% of that value because of the non-liquidity. So we had a percentage reduction and that percentage reduction was not just a fixed number. If 
for example, if somebody committed a felony against the company, we reduce that dramatically. Mm -hmm. We also had the payout in different terms. So if there was a death in the of a shareholder, then we wanted the family to be paid out quickly, but at the same time, we didn't want that to jeopardize the operations of the company. So I think we had that, that it was divided into six payments, an immediate one, and then one payment per year over the next five years. In the case of a bankruptcy, we had it spread out over 15 years, and that was in the operating agreement. And what that was basically designed to do was that if someone went bankrupt and the shares were put to the party who was getting the assets of that person, then there would be a mechanism for them to negotiate with us because they certainly wouldn't want to get paid out over 15 years. So these are just some examples of how you look at the different situations. Disability was one that we addressed as well. So With your experience, would you enter into a partnership again? And if so, how would you do it this time? Um, You know, that's been brought up a couple times uh, as I'm starting hybrid machining, uh, as several people have expressed interest and believe in the same mission of what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, for the time being, I'm saying no to the partnerships just due to the extremely bad taste in my mouth at the moment. Um, not to say that that may not change, um, but definitely I would remain, uh, the majority shareholder, um, Mm -hmm. and maybe bring on some team members, um, or, or, you know, partners, um, if cash is needed and so on, but then even those would be more of a circumstance of a short-term loans type of thing. Um, but then maybe a long-term goal would be is to transition the company, you know, Lord willing, this can goes the way we want. And let's call it 15 years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, we start um, converting the company and by me um, selling shares uh to the team members um gotcha in that scenario to come up with my own uh, buyout strategy how can i pass that on to the team members who put all the work in to do it great an esop or you know some of those other processes yeah right going back to how you and your uncle ultimately separated can you walk us through that process, some of the starts and stops. I guess there were a lot of stops along the way. Yeah. Yeah. It it was a huge struggle. Um, I kind of seen where things were going all the way back in the spring of 2016. Um, And this was before we put a large addition on and started to grow the company even more. Um, I offered to buy him out at the time and there really wasn't any interest and it was still a, 
it was a good thing. I mean, the company's running great, uh, making great money and so on. Uh, so I, we just kind of let, let it lie. Um, end of 17, um, well, I should say actually end of 18. 18 was in a, a phenomenal year. I mean, we doubled the plant. We added like four new members. Um, our bottom line just went through the roof. Um, added new technologies. Um, that's when I got into the Daytron machines. Um, and I just, I was the one at the time, I felt as if I was the one doing all the work. I was, we've always said that I was the rocket and he was the anchor. And that was a good balance for a long time. But uh, I truly embraced this Industry 4.0 um, mm. concept, the IoT, the automation, and where the com where industry is heading. And frankly, it's already there. But mm -hmm. um, I wanted to continue to invest into more complex stuff because that's what intrigues me. Um, if I continue to make squares all day, I frankly get bored. Um, so uh, at the spring of 19, I said, okay, enough's enough. We're not going to continue this. I made a pact to myself and to my wife and family that well, this is not going to continue. And I'm putting my foot down and we have to figure this out. Mm -hmm. um, so at the time we had an evaluation done um, to determine what the cost of the company or the value of the company was. Mm -hmm. um, I made an offer to him that was strictly 50% of everything um, to buy him out. And that was not good enough. Uh, he came back with some ridiculous offer that was just not even feasible. Um, so we started the negotiations. Um, at the end of the day, over the whole 2019, I made, I believe it was six offers total. Hmm. Um, some swinging one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Um during 19, the value of the company, I felt, was continuing to um, depreciate as tensions are rising, you know, people on the floor having to pick sides. Mm. Right. It's, you know, I call it it's kind of like a bad divorce. You know, the kids are, you know, you do your best not to get the kids involved, but um, they do eventually and they pick sides and it was just a toxic environment for all of us. Um, so I just kept pushing and pushing to try to come up with a resolution and it just wasn't working. Um, I never in my wildest dreams would I think I've ever would have sold all route. I mean, all route and most people know this that are in the industry that all route and Jeff Robinson are two things that went together as I was the face of the company, um, out there on the streets and mm -hmm. industry and social media and so on. Um, but it just, he made up, made it clear that he was, didn't want to go anywhere for the next five years because he was 60 at the time and he wanted to stick around for five years. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that's when I had to make the decision that fine, if you're not going to take this, then I'm leaving. Um, then we hashed that out for a while. Um, and, but then the big thing for me is that uh, he's got, I'll call it five years left in the industry and I've got 20, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just turned 40 this year. And um, 
I got a long ways to go. And uh, I got a lot of fun things I want to do yet in this industry. And um, the big hurdle was a non-compete. Um, and frankly, I said, if you're going to tell me I'm going to have a non-compete and not going to be able to do what I love to do and my passion is, then you're going to have to pay me tremendously to go work at the hardware store for three years or right. something <laughs> or buy that motor home and travel the country. Right. Um, and uh, so basically we ended up devaluing the company's value, uh, dropping it so that I didn't have the non-compete. Uh, he couldn't buy me out completely um, because the banks would not give him the money unless the, he had a non-compete. Gotcha. But I'm not doing it. So um, long, long story short is that what we agreed to, and this is where that book from Robert Kiyosaki came in and um, the rich dad, poor dad was the <laughs> book. And um, just talking about, about real estate and the incomes and so on. And frankly, what it came down to is ultimately what I think of my partner is it's the exact opposite of what I think he really intended for this transaction to be. But um, so I sold my 50% shares to him in AllRoute. So he now owns 100% of AllRoute mm-hmm. and I own 100% of the building. So um, I got into commercial real estate by accident, but um, so now I own a 22,000 square foot building that they are operating out of. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was another point um, to tell him that I'm like, I'm not trying to put you out of business because you're my tenant. Um, It was another way of just trying to show that without Mm -hmm. having a legal document. Um, So he has a five-year lease on the building uh, we will see what happens in the next five years. Uh, that's up to them to mm-hmm. see how they operate. Um, but at the end of five years, he, there's a lot of options for him and myself, whether he sells the company, I can sell the building with that. I can release it. I can mm-hmm. take it over. I have lots of options. So um, it actually works out really, really well after you did all the math that, um, the rent payment that he now pays me pays mortgages on both buildings. So it's turned out to be a really, really good deal for me. So I have that 22,000 square feet and now I'm in another 13,000 square feet now for hybrid Mm -hmm. that I'm uh, building on. I'm currently leasing, but I'm hoping within the next few months to purchase it outright. Fantastic. Well, that sounds like it was probably very painful, but thank you for sharing that and being pretty open about it, Jeff. Because yeah, no problem. I just hope someone, you know, learns and or if they have questions, concerns, feel free to reach out because uh, I learned from a lot of other people that went through pro- these same processes as well. And um, I always say you don't, you know, time, life's too short. You don't have time to make all the mistakes yourself. So learn from others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you were talking about the 50-50 split, I remembered I'd heard a, to me it seems fair, I'd love to get your, your comment, way of resolving a partnership like that. And the technique is that one partner makes an offer to the other partner 
And if that partner refuses, then they have to buy your stake for that amount. So essentially it makes you offer a fair amount because if you don't, and then he decides to buy you out, you don't want to get hosed on that. Right. What do you, what do you think of that? <laughs> That's funny you say that because I tried that. Um, really? Yeah. I said, because we had the original value that the valuation said, um, I tried to purchase him out for that amount. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, right down to the 50-50, just literally yeah. took the numbers of Adam in half. Yeah. Um, so when he came back the first time with the proposal that was like uh, all of 40% more um, than that, and um, I said, there's absolutely no way. Uh, <laughs> he, so, so he didn't, he didn't think that that was fair. No, because then I said, well, fine, I'll sell <laughs> it for that amount. And, you know, but then he wouldn't do it that way. So huh. basically we took the, the company, I took off a bunch of money um, for the non-disclosure part or the non-compete part. Mm -hmm. um, so we dropped it down. So um, let's say we cut off 25% of the value of the company mm -hmm. down to this next number. And then I said, I'm willing to buy you out for this dollar amount. And I'm also willing to sell for this exact same value. So this is why I feel this is fair. Um, I, I'm willing to take or leave the whole situation for this exact same number. And that wasn't good enough either. Huh. Um, so that's what got us in the stalemate. And um, yeah. mostly because of the non-compete is that he wasn't willing to do it because I'm a lot more of a threat. Uh, Cause I'm, I have full intentions to stay in this industry. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, this is my world. I live and breathe it day and night. Right. And um his is not as much. So I wasn't concerned about him owning a business and being a threat, but it is the other way around. So that's what it really happened. So that's why through that book and understanding everything, if once there was a, we calculated the difference between the value of the company and the value of the building, the Delta difference was only literally a couple hundred thousand dollars. So it was very small. Mm -hmm. Um, so I finally came to him and said, Hey, what if we could just do this whole deal with this, your total investment out of pocket is only this much, which was very little. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking 30% of the original numbers and um, I get the bill and you get the company and let's move on with life. And gotcha. that took all of 11 months, but we did it. So. <laughs> well, let's, Let's transition to today. So yeah. as of January 1st, hybrid machining is up and running. What is your vision for your new company? Yeah, so uh, hybrid is um, similar in the fact that we uh, are where I was going to take all route, I should say. That's, mm -hmm. um, and some of the things that we're focusing on are um, – advanced machining. So in the wood industry, wood and plastics, uh, we have a large CR Onsrud five axis router on the way. 
uh, that'll be coming in May. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll be again trying to do the complex stuff. So dealing with five axis. Um, we already own Datron, so we're doing the high speed machining on I call it the micro parts, the small complex parts. Um, what materials are you cutting there? Um, I'm there. I'm cutting mostly um, non-ferrous, uh, aluminum, brass, so on. But then also I do run a fair amount of plastics, and I'm actually running wood on a Daytron, which is unique because even Daytron don't do that that much just because right. it's an expensive tool for that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm doing intricate carvings and so on. Um, Hybrid's name um, came from, it's really a combination or collaboration between three different things. First of all, it's um, the hybrid approach between additive and subtractive. So 3D printing and traditional um, CNC machining, mm -hmm. uh, humans and robotics and how they are to work together. And then also um, milling and routing because I'm actually using wood traditionally wood um, tools um, to mill other products and then vice versa. So mm. we're also nearing the point of finalizing a deal with FANUC uh, to get a FANUC robo drill in here. And uh, the FANUC robo drill, we're going to actually run it primarily with wood and plastic. Really? Yeah. Even FANUC says wood. What are you talking about? So what, what's the spindle speed on that? The standard, well, there's two of them, but the main spindle speed is 24,000 RPMs. And you're going to so, be cutting wood. Yeah, so you, if you, when you ask me, uh, a machine that's got 24,000 RPM, that's a router, hmm. in my opinion. And um, so this machine is just a very, very fast router. Um, and the you know with its movements mm -hmm. um it's sub one second tool changes um and frankly everyone's like well why would you do that and i just said well no one told me i can't yet so <laughs> we're gonna we're they gonna hold it they it. hold your value worst case is doesn't work out and you i guess you, you resell it and get most of your yeah and they're back. super excited about it as well um and how did they family. get on your radar because that's obviously not a typical routing tool um it goes back to my research all the way back probably four years ago or so mm -hmm. when i started looking at smaller and smaller routers um so i've owned cr android routers for 17 years um purchased four or five of them, I think five of them. Um, but my smallest machine bed was five foot by eight foot. My largest ones were five by 20s. Um, and frankly, I just got sick of running parts that are the size of a piece of paper or smaller on a 20 foot machine bed. <laughs> and I said, we, I got to figure out how to get more spindles in my same footprint because my building was full. And so we got to start getting smaller. The unique part about the wood industry is that as you go smaller in um, the traditional routers, mm -hmm. you get it just goes right into the hobbyist level. You know, so we're talking. So about they haven't the high precision manufacturers haven't shrunk their equipment at all. No, they just keep getting bigger. I mean, Andrew's huh. big machines are. You know, they've got some that are 20 feet wide by 100 feet long. 
you know, they keep getting bigger, but they, no one's going smaller. And, um, frankly, I wanted to, and I've approached Onstrude about a few times and just wasn't a good business model for them, which I totally appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I learned about Datron. Um, and I learned about Datron at IMTS. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, people ask me all the time. I was questioned by my partner on this a lot. It's like, why do you go to IMTS? It's I was going show. to ask you that question. Yeah, it's the metal <laughs> show uh, compared to the I, uh, IWF, which is the woodworking show, which is only a few weeks prior to I- IMTS. Um, and the reason is, is that the metalworking industry, I feel, is usually at least five to eight years ahead of us hmm. in the wood industry. Um, I mean, the wood industry just starting to program off of solid models. Um, typically, we're all 2D before. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're just starting to come around. Well, that's been around for eight years at least in the in the metal side. So mm-hmm. I went to the metal shows to learn what's coming and how do I get on the forefront of it. Um, and that's where I found Datron, um, started learning about it, learned more about high-speed machining, what it can do. Um, and ultimately what happened was I ended up buying two, uh, two Datron machines at all route before I left. Mm-hmm. Um, how do they compare in price to the larger routers? Um, they're very much this, well, the Datron's got their Neo, which is the smallest machine. Mm-hmm. Um, that is comparable to a five foot by 12 foot router. Um, so quite different um, in price. How, how do you justify the cost then if you have a smaller footprint that you're cutting within? To me, it's all about different tools in your toolbox mm-hmm. um, because I can do so many more things now, you know, now, you know, and I'm talking while I was at all route, mm-hmm. uh, I can get into more um, complex parts. I can get okay. into um, micro tooling, you know, you know, I'm mm-hmm. rude. You're pretty much getting down into, you know, an eighth inch is a pretty small tool. Okay. Uh, maybe a 16th. Um, but you know, a 16th is a fair size tool on my Datron. You know, we run down to, you know, 20 thousandths diameter tools on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that it worked well in where I wanted to take the company, mm-hmm. which was getting into the complex stuff. Um, so that kind of segues into where the Fanic came in. Uh, Fanic, uh, the Robo Drill. Um, it fit the bill for me to trying to find that 24,000 or find the standard high RPM machines. Um, I looked at Haas's, Herco's, you know, all the other Mm -hmm. name brands. Um, I even had a Herco guy, luckily, I was very thankful that he was honest. He said, yes, this machine runs at 18,000 RPM, but if you run it at 18,000 RPM, it's like running your car at 4,000 RPM just because it can do it doesn't mm. do it all day. Right. And frankly, the machine was an overkill. It was like 46 horsepower. I'm like, I'm cutting wood. I don't right. need this. Um, so the Fanic just seems to be a good fit um, for RPMs. Uh, obviously, the controls are great. Um, mm-hmm. 
the beauty of it is, is that I'm literally between the FANUC and the CR ONS route are running the exact same control, the FANUC 31IB5. Um, so um, again, trying to stick in the same families, um, mm -hmm. kind of like an Apple Android yeah. concept. Yeah. Um, to keep the controls similar. Um, and we're able to spec it in such a way that, um, you know, it's, it's actually got some specs out, like it would be, be running graphite. So got some arms on it for some dust collection. Mm -hmm. um, I also have a vision to convert the machine to a full vacuum table, just like my routers, because I'm used to vacuum where traditional machinists are not, um, because vacuum is what we do in, with routers. Talk, talk a little bit more about that. Are you working with non-ferrous metals in a vacuum environment? Yes, um, yeah, I have in the past, um, especially on my large machines. Um, so you're basically just using uh, MQL um, type of lubricants. Um, that's why it was a really good fit for me with a Daytron because a Daytron will, tells me all the time that it's hard for them to retrain traditional machinists um, to think like we think as in the wood guys. So it was a good fit for me because Daytron uses vacuum as well. Mm -hmm. uh, they happen to use the ethanol as their coolant, which is even cooler yet. But, um, but vacuum to me is extremely powerful if it's utilized correctly. And that's one thing that I want to take to market is to show how we can use like a FANUC robo drill and use vacuum in a different sense. There is a vacuum in the standard machinists. I know like Peterson and some of these other guys use vacuum plates. Mm -hmm. So that is different than what, how we look at vacuum in the uh, routing world. So we use um, sacrificial boards so I can drill, I can machine underneath, I can cut into my quote spool board. Um, so I'm going to figure out how to do that with the FANUC and then utilize the high speed machining techniques that um, if any of your guests listen to the, um, the Daytron podcast, they talk quite a bit about it. Mm -hmm. um, the beauty of that small FANUC machine is that it can actually move as fast as you program it. Daytrons right. do the same thing. There's a difference. Um, just because you can program it at a thousand inches a minute to do this particular pass doesn't mean that your five foot by 12 foot machine can actually do that. <laughs> right. It just right, right. does. There's too much inertia. Um, so we want to use some of these high speed machine techniques in wood and plastic, um, and see, uh, how we can better the industry by using this. And at the end of the day, frankly, the FANUC is going to be one of the easiest machines that I'll have to automate. Thinking about routers, because we did not have any at Rapid mm -hmm. and other shops who have milling centers, machining centers, where can you be more cost efficient or more efficient in general using a router on parts that may be running now on milling centers? Um, 
So from the, the milling side of things, um, the best fit scenarios are, are, and how we tend to assist other machine shops is dealing with plastics particularly and or foams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to run a lot of Ren foam or like um, Ren board, mm-hmm. tooling, tooling boards and so on. Um, frankly, it just makes a heck of a mess. And um, the other shops, particularly if they're oil-based coolants, um, their machines just become a mess and it takes hours to clean up. Um, so that's where the router comes into play with that. And then also um, my large, the five axis that's coming, I can have access to all, all sides. And uh, frankly, we can machine parts that are wider than traditional mills. So even in my local hometown here, there's several VF11s, um, mm-hmm. so fairly large mills. Uh, they do get long, but they rarely get deep. Right. So, um, you know, maybe 38 inches, 42 maybe, um, but I'm at 60 inches deep. So we've done some pretty large aluminum plates that way. Hmm. Um, Are now, they, when you say aluminum plates, what sort of thickness? Uh, in those can, scenarios, they're typically, they were base plates. So these were big. I mean, these were one inch usually. These were base plates okay. for big that, that automation. Thick. Yeah. Um, so that was your more, quote, heavy-duty stuff. Mm-hmm. The other sector um, where routers come into play is more of your sheet metal work. Um, Thin-gauge products, you know, we're talking quarter, like maybe six. 16th to 8th inch mm-hmm. um, where yes they can laser them now they also water jet them uh, but those are profiles only so where we come into play where we can machine pockets mm. um, very efficiently we can yep. counter bore counter sink uh, radius edges do all these things that um, the profile machines cannot so it would be we had a lot of lasers Mm-hmm. The secondaries, if there's a part after it's been cut, blanked, the secondaries are eliminated if you're doing it on the router. Absolutely. Yeah. And really what, you know, one of the biggest sectors is uh, in plastics um, mm-hmm. for the automation industry. We do, uh, we've done a lot of polycarbonate for guarding and so forth, but uh, it's so interesting to me that majority of the metal workers in the industry just for some reason have it in their mind that that type of product needs to be water jet. Hmm. I don't know why, um, but uh, it does not. It, we can machine it really, really well. And then more importantly, almost every hole we put on that's going to be bolted to 80-20 or something like that mm-hmm. are all counter- countersunk holes. Right. Um, what sort of tolerances you're holding on the larger routers? Um, the the manufacturers will tell you, you know, everyone always looks at fifteen thousandths. I'm like, no, I I have it at all route anyways. I had an internal tolerance of plus or minus uh, five, um, and I can very easily hold that. Um, I've held a lot tighter, um, but. On the 12 foot machines or larger, um, I will advertise um, five thou. Are there things that you are doing differently than other users of the routers are doing? 
Uh, yeah, I would think so. I mean, that's kind of what my name, uh, what I prided myself in over the years, um, is just really pushing the envelopes, mm -hmm. um, making them do some unique things. You know, Anzrud, for instance, I helped develop a bracket type thing to hang my part off the edge of the table so that I, the machine actually over traveled off the table by about an inch and a half. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, perfect. I'm going to make a, make something that I could mount something long and narrow on the end so that I could work on the edge of it um, or on the end to hmm. put some unique dovetail for some furniture components. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I typically push the limit on the machines. Um, like same old story, you kind of push it till it breaks and then back it right. off 10%. Um, but that's the concept with these routers. I mean, the wood guys and the metal guys, I'll, I'll say just don't understand that, you know, I've ran three quarter inch plywood at 2000 inches a minute. It's not hard. You, you, it, <laughs> you can do it all the time. Um, and you just got to push it and understand your machine. I always use the words, you have to respect your machine. Mm -hmm. um, don't beat it up. I've seen people try to do those things. That's great, but you have to respect it too and understand the inner workings and why you don't plunge um, versus a ramp and all these things. Because routers spindles are different than the metal spindles. Mm -hmm. They're not designed to take those axial loads. Um, so oh, you have to respect it. So yeah. Huh. So you started a shop from scratch and you came from a shop where you'd over 17 years, I think you said yep. you had pretty much probably all, all the, the little things that you need right there. So mm -hmm. what can you share with the audience in particular, someone who is looking to start a shop from scratch? What did you not anticipate that? happen um a lot of it just comes down to i mean you when you have all the tools that you possibly need and you have acquired over 17 years and you just take it for granted that you can walk over and grab this particular tool mm -hmm. you don't have that anymore so my endless trips to lowe's or other box stores or whatever uh it's unbelievable the stuff that you don't have. I just found it the other day. I didn't have a thing to take a paper clip out or a, a <laughs> stapler, you know, and it just costs a lot, particularly in the machining world, you know, all the different fixtures, um, all the different little tools you need for indexing or um, getting parts together. Um, it just costs a lot. Um, there's no question about that. Uh, I'm investing a lot more than I would have thought, um, but it is what it is. Um, when you say a lot more, what sort of numbers would someone, should someone budget for these little things that in aggregate add up? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, I'm talking, putting an extra 50 grand in here or there, um, yeah. Just for all these ancillary things. I mean, okay, yeah. you buy all this stuff. Well, shoot, now you need a toolbox. Well, now 
<laughs> what toolbox do you want? What kind do you want? Do you want a good one? Do you want right. to buy a cheap one? Do you, you know, there's so many of these little things that seem so minuscule, but makes you not sleep at night. You know, it sounded weird, but I had to decide, do I want to be a DeWalt shop or do I want to be a Milwaukee shop? You have to decide which one do you want? Hmm. You know, it just, right. it seems right. little, but um, right. these, all these things will impact you much later on. And um, so um, those are all just ancillary things, but the bigger items here are literally down to like picking out um, my laptops, for instance, you know, mm -hmm. I decided to go all HP. So every, every laptop we have here, it's exactly the same. It's the same dock. It's the same, everything, wherever you are in the shop. So you can bring your computer anywhere you want to. Um, but those are the decisions that just weigh you down. Um, but I think this is a great point that you standardized and there is a lot of variability, particularly in the beginning, you're having to make a lot of decisions, but once you are making a decision that's going to eliminate making a lot of other decisions later on. Absolutely. So by saying you're going all HP or all Milwaukee, you don't have to think about that anymore. Nope. No, it's just, you have to do it. You just, and if you don't spend the time to do that, you've kick yourself in the butt later. Yep. Because, and, and that's where it's the amount of forethought that has to come into it. I mean, all the way down to how you do your file structures and stuff, it'll all impact it later. Um, not that you can't fix any of these things. So don't, I try to tell people to just, you know, eventually you have to make a decision. You can dwell on things for too long and not get anywhere. Um, a famous quote I heard the other day, you, you don't want to um, mistake movement with progress. You know, just because you're moving doesn't mean you're getting anywhere. Um, right. So um, at point you, you do your research till you have, um, you feel like you've made an educated guess, if you will. And, and then make the decision and move on to the next one. Um, yep. If you didn't, you'll never get anything done. Um, I had a, we had a new employee lunch at Rapid. And part of what I shared with the new team members was that I would rather have you make a hundred decisions a day and have hopefully 90, 95 of them be good decisions. But if it wasn't a good decision, you go to plan B, correct, and make another decision. Yep. As opposed to the alternative of making 25 perfect decisions a day because even though you got them all right, that meant that you didn't make 75 other decisions and that is not going to enable the company to execute at the level we needed to. We, we wanted and needed people to make a hundred decisions a day in that sort of an analogy. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I'll segue a little bit of that into kind of the core vision of where we want to take this company is that um, I have a passion to help produce people as mm -hmm. much as we produce products. Sure. Uh, so that's one of our real core visions here is to show off technology, teach people about it, 
you know, we're not even, we're pretty young. I don't even have that much to show yet uh, for being only just barely two months old. But uh, we brought, we had over 70 tours through here so far of either individuals or groups of people anywhere from counselors to um, uh, high school teachers to parents with kids that are just interested in um, particularly printing and so on. And that is the core vision here. If I could actually do that for a living and not have to make parts, I would do that. <laughs> um, but unless the government wants to subsidize me to do that, I still have to make a living. Um, but we've strategically partnered with several companies like Datron, Sierra Andrew, Fanic, and so on. And they all believe in this vision. Mm -hmm. um, so they are helping me um, along the way to show off the newest, best technologies. So we have companies like Harvey Tool and so on that uh, we're partnering with strategically to say, hey, check out these tools. How can we push them with our knowledge to use their equipment and their tooling? Um, I kind of, I'm inspired by uh, a lot of people might've heard of Titans or Titans of CNC. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've only met him once for like five minutes, but the five minutes I did talk to him, I said, just believe me, I'm going to do something similar to this, but for the wood industry, wood and plastic, just because I feel like they're a, a segment of our market that is being lost or forgotten because you can't even find somebody to teach you that. Mm. Um, there's no schools out there teaching CNC routing. Right. So um, I just want to help try to be a voice um, for all of that and how do we take all these technologies from the metal guys, adapt them to plastic and wood and how do we continue to compete with China and so forth as the years move on? Well, I think that that loops back to the beginning of what we discussed with start with why and how you decided to start hybrid machining and discover that beyond making parts, you, you want to inspire people. So I think this is a good place for us to wrap up. I really appreciate you opening up and sharing the story of how you separated yourself from a company you loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some great takeaways for folks who may be in a similar position and if you are starting a company or you have the opportunity, highly recommend creating that op operating agreement for disagreement mm -hmm. if you have partners. And think of it as a prenup for business owners. But in general, thank you for being very candid. And these sort of details usually don't get heard. People just are not willing to share them. So again, thanks for, for opening up there. And I think there may be a lot of other owners who may be in a similar position and thinking they're alone in the struggle. And by you talking about it, it says, no, you're, you're not alone. There is, uh, there is a path forward and it may encourage them to take some action. So Absolutely. where can people reach you? Yeah, so um, our website, um, we're still working on it, but uh, that's uh, hybridmachining.com. 
Um, but then I'm also fairly active um, social media. So um, you can search hybrid machining on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, and of course on LinkedIn. So um, just out there trying to share my story. Um, we're hoping to do um, some short like tech tips and so on here in the, in the near future. Um, mm -hmm. explain the different nuances with routing and helping people to just understand the differences and how we can apply our technologies to help them solve their problems. And we haven't talked a lot about additive today, but that's a huge focus for us as well. And um, how we can leverage both the additive and the subtractive um, techniques to get to the best possible solution. Excellent. I think that there is a, a lot that if people listen to this perhaps a couple times will really pick up and have the opportunity to chew upon. So besides if you're starting a new shop locating next to Home Depots or Lowe's, anything else you want to add before we go? Oh, just um, there's always um, light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I just don't settle, I guess. Um, you know, mm. If you find yourself not happy and you're not patch, passionate about what you're doing, find something that does because life's too short to be miserable in what you're doing. Um, find something that you're passionate about and figure out how to do it. And, um, and the second point would be is just surround yourself with positive people. Um, Absolutely. You know, people got to be out there lifting you up. If you're constantly surrounded by people dragging you down, Will Smith said it by, um, if the people around here better be throwing wood on your fire. If, you know, if they're not, they're pissing on it. So, uh, <laughs> you need to step away and figure out what you have to do, uh, to build your fire. And, um, frankly, that's ended up what I ended up doing and I'm, happy i'm intrigued about what the the good lord has in in store for us and um we're excited to um see where this takes us well jeff thanks again for sharing your story and listeners thank you so much for being with us today i am super grateful to be able to bring you stories like this that you're hearing and I encourage anyone who has a story to tell or knows someone who has a great story to tell to contact us. Also a reminder that we're soliciting questions for our Ask Me Anything episode. If there's anything you would like to glean from my advanced degree in the School of Hard Knocks, fire away. Please go to our website, thejobshopshow.com and email them in. Thanks again for making us a part of your day. And until next time, I'm gonna add, keep those routers routing, the spindles turning, and those lasers cutting. Have a great day. <laughs>